Welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. If you're here on campus for the first time, we're glad you're with us. If you're kind of returned and come back, we're super glad you're here. Also, if you're watching online for the first time, it's great to have you as well. We're just a church that's focused on coaching you up in your faith. And one of the ways we do that is we encourage you to think for yourself. We want to give you as much information and uh, tools to critically think and then implement it because it's what we think and what we do that ends up growing us to maturity. Now, uh, Foothills has been growing over the last couple of years, and we've been wanting to expand our pastoral staff particularly in the areas of uh, music and worship and discipleship, communications. And so I would like you to meet Dylan. You just saw him leading here and his wife, Shana, and their four boys. They are going to be coming on a part of our family, and he's going to be joining our staff. So we want to give it up for them. So uh, when we first met Dylan, uh, he just stepped in to help us out. There was no intent to move forward, but we're a church that is constantly praying to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had a plan to bring us together, partner in ministry, build the kingdom of God together. So if you would uh, be the normal, friendly people that you are and welcome into your family and friendships, I would appreciate that so much. And also, Ashley, I want to give a big shout out to her for kind of stepping up and carrying things through for us uh, throughout this uh, nine-month uh, transition, and she's going to continue to be here. I love her spirit and her gifts, and I certainly love her voice. So shout out to Ashley. We appreciate her so much. So now what we're going to do is we're going to kind of jump in. Our current series is Kingdom Come. And last week, we kind of showed that there were headlines out there that prove that the world in which we live uh, does have evil in it and that there are things that are happening in the world that we're asking ourselves, what in the world is going on? In Ephesians, we studied how what this is is a result of a spiritual war because there are two kingdoms. And if we know about this battle and then we are prepared for this battle, we will grow spiritually as individuals, okay? So there's a lot going on and people are like, why in the world is all this happening? Well... Because there's kingdoms and there's a battle, and it spills over into this realm. And so we want to today address one of the biggest hindrances to growing across the board for us as individuals, but also for the kingdom of God growing. And that is the issue of complacency, right? Is when we fall into complacency, what happens is we kind of stop growing. You know, complacency is is that kind of like falling asleep at the wheel, so to speak. You know, you just kind of get used to stuff. 
We do this because of the way our brains actually function. In neuroscience, what we are studying the brain, we realize the brain actually filters out more data than you can imagine. It takes all this data that all your senses are bringing in, and it just basically relegates it all to the back so that you can stay focused on one or two things, right? And so uh, what that does, though, is it can overfunction, and then we start to get complacent. And complacency impacts you across the board. It, it, if you're in your health, if you get complacent and you quit like pushing yourself and working out or, or eating right, what happens to you? You know, your health fails. Uh, in your marriage, if you get complacent in your marriage, start taking your spouse for granted, what happens is that, boom, something big can happen. You're like, how in the world did we get here? Well, we got complacent right? Uh, in, in raising your kids, right? Uh, moms have this really incredible radar, you know, and that is, is that they, they expect a certain hubbub happening. And then what happens when it gets super quiet in the house when you have little kids? I'm going to go check, right? Okay. Because moms don't want to be complacent because <laughs> if you're complacent and you don't pay attention to those long drown out silences in your house, then, you know, they got into the flower or the ash from the fireplace and it's all over the living room right now. Uh, it, 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 in your job, you can't get complacent in your job, can you? But the most important place you can't get complacent is spiritually. You know, and that's really important. One of the areas that we've gotten complacent spiritually, I think, uh, as well as kind of, uh, I, I, I want to say as a nation, is the whole issue of terrorism, right? Uh, you think about it. One group that can't afford to be complacent is Jewish people, you know? Uh, and I want to bring this up because I want to show how there is a spiritual battle, and this spiritual battle is being played out here on earth. And just think for a moment that... Uh, Jewish people have been around for over 3,000 years, and yet the amount of animosity towards them and the attempt to wipe them out is just unbelievable. I mean, why is that? And it's interesting, so many of the nations that have tried to wipe out Israel, you go back to the early uh, uh, the Babylonians, the early Egyptians, the Assyrians, you know, none of these people are in existence today. You can go to a, 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 a museum and you can see their artifacts in the British, you know, museum or another museum. What's fascinating is those people, the, the, those ethnic groups, they don't exist anymore. But you know who does exist? Is Jewish people. A Jewish person will walk in that museum and see those relics. You look at it from Alexander the Great, you look at it from uh, Rome, you look at it, you know, you zoom forward, you look at uh, what happened during the Moors in southern Spain, you look at Russia, then you look at the Nazis, and now you look at what's happening with these terrorist organizations. These people are fighting a spiritual war as well as a physical. Because how can a, a, a something like that, that animosity, last for thousands and thousands of years unless there's something spiritual driving it behind it? And our leaders here in America have wanted to be so secular in their approach. What has happened is they ignore the spiritual connotations. But the people on the other side, they don't ignore them as all. As a matter of fact, they use them to their advantage. A lot of people are unaware of uh, Hamas 
and what exactly the word Hamas means. And Hamas is the terrorist organization that attacked Israel on October 7th. And what it is, is it's actually an anacronym, meaning they take the first letter of each of the words of their title, and they make the words H-A-M-A-S in Arabic. And it comes from Harakat al-Mukawama al-Islamiyah. And what they do is they take the H and the A and then the M and then the A and then Islamia is Arabic for Islam, okay? So they use the S because in, in Arabic the, the I is kind of silent. And so it, they take these first letters and they make the word Hamas. And what a lot of people are not aware of is that in Aramaic, Hamas is actually a word that means zeal, okay? It means totally zealous, you know, all the way in. But they did this on purpose because in Hebrew, do you know what the word Hamas means? It means violence and evil. So whenever you say this in Arabic in the Middle East, you're saying zealous. But whenever a Jewish person who speaks Hebrew, they still speak Hebrew in Israel today, guess what they hear? Violence and evil. So they do that to try to intimidate. They're, they're, they're using language that's 1,000 years old, 2,000 years old, 3,000 years old, to fight this spiritual battle. And I don't think a lot of people in uh, the West, the leaders, are actually aware of that. You know, this, of course, is shocking to us. But what happened and what is happening there pales in comparison to an area we've become overwhelmingly complacent in. We're unaware of the most persecuted people group in the world today. They've been persecuted far beyond what Israel has suffered. And you think what Jewish people have suffered in the last 100 years has been pretty amazing, right? With the Holocaust and now this. But there's a group that's persecuted more than them. They've suffered more than them. And you know who that is? Christians. China, in the last year, just this last year, has murdered over 5,600 people just because they're Christians. Over 2,000 church buildings have been bulldozed and destroyed by the CCP in China. Almost 5,000 Christians last year were arrested and thrown in prison simply because they are Christians in China. In India, the persecution of Christians is off the chart. Right now in uh, Azerbaijan, which is a Turkish Muslim country, they have surrounded 120,000 Armenian Christians. They are refusing to let them leave, and they are starving them to death. It will be the largest genocide in the last 200 years if it is left unchecked. In Nigeria, here's a country a little bit bigger than Utah. In the last 10 years, the, 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 I can't pronounce their name right, but Fulajani, they are Islamic herdsmen. They have come down uh, south from the Sahara into the northern part of Nigeria. In between 10 and 12 years, they have murdered over 52,000 Christians. Their, their attack of choice is to go into schools that missionaries have started and they kill all the boys and they steal all the girls and forcibly marry them. That's 4,000 people every year 
for over 10 years in a row. That's 10 people a day in a state the size of Utah. The United States Commission uh, on International Religious Freedoms 2020 report said that Burma, China, Eritrea, India, Iran, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Vietnam, these are a lot of countries, are some of the most hostile to Christians and persecute them mercilessly. And my question for you is, have you ever heard that? And it's not, I'm not saying it's your fault that you don't know. I'm saying you live in a country that doesn't want you to know this. And that asks me why. I find that odd. And it points to the fact that it is a spiritual battle at its root. And that's why what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 is so important because it teaches us how to protect ourselves, not only from the attacks of the devil, but from complacency. It teaches us how to to be uh, protected from complacency personally in our own life, but also from being complacent about this global kingdom of God and what God is doing with his kingdom and growing it and how the world, the kingdom of this world is pushing back against it. So let's read and dig into this a little bit more. We read it last week. We're going to read it again this week. Verse 10 of chapter 6, and it goes like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now remember, the goal of, of you know, gearing up with the armor of God is to be strong, okay? Put the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, The word schemes there comes from the Greek word methodia, which we get the word method. So the devil's really good at this. He has a method that's tried and true, and it never, in his mind, doesn't fail. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I want to point out again, what's critical here to understand in verse 12 is that he says there are powers um, and rulers in the world forces. So there are people here on earth who are propagating evil and are committed to evil. And the inability to see that and understand it and say that makes people weak and vulnerable. They're not strong and able to stand firm and resist evil. We'll talk more about that in a moment. He says, but also there is a war against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he's, see what he's doing? He's saying this spiritual war is not against flesh and blood, even here on earth, right? It's, it's a spiritual battle here and in the heavenly realms. So he's bringing the two realms together. Therefore, he goes, because of this is happening, you must take up the full armor of God. Now, why would you do that? So you can resist in the evil day. There are days that will be evil and they will come. Are you ready to resist? He's not saying put up with it. He's saying you've got to figure out how to resist. He goes on to say this. He goes, and having done everything, meaning you've prepared yourself, you can stand firm. You know, stand your ground. Look, uh, I listened to uh, Jocko Willink. I've kind of read uh, some of his quotes and shown you stuff from him. And I like his philosophy on this. He goes, anytime I try to get, if I'm in the street and I get into conflict, my first goal is to run. He goes, I'm just going to run. He goes, nothing's worth a street fight. 
Nothing. You know, you might get sued. You might go, just run away. (laughs) He goes, that's what I do, man. That's why I jog. I run away. And you think, wow, this is Jocko. You know, I mean, he's a Navy SEAL. He's tough. And so anytime there's a conflict, what does he want to do? Run away, run away, run away. And I'm like, I kind of agree with that. You know, I, I want to avoid it at all costs. He says, but if you're an evil person and you step in the street to do my wife or my children harm, then I will come uncorked on you. He goes, because I'm here to protect my family. And so that's what he's saying here. I'm prepared and I'm going to stand firm to protect myself and protect my family. He goes, stand firm. He says it again. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet, which means shod is the word of like put your shoes on, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then with all prayer. So he says, bathe all of this in prayer and petition. So you should pray about it every day. He goes, pray at all times in the spirit, you know? Take it before the Lord in the spirit of God and pray, pray, pray. He goes, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. So be, I'm praying in the spirit, I'm protecting myself with the armor of God, and I am aware, I am alert, I am enduring in my alertness because I'm going to petition for all the saints. I'm going to petition for all the Christians all across the globe in the suffering and persecution that they're going through. So let's go through these one at a time, because sometimes people, when you, when you talk this way, you know, it seems like there's two extreme positions. One, one ex- position is that, well, we're just pacifists, right? We're not supposed to do anything at all. We're not supposed to resist. We're not supposed to be prepared. We're just supposed to trust the Lord, and the whole goal is heaven. But... That just doesn't seem to be biblical to me because it says we're here on earth to do what? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Our goal is to do what? Help, help God's kingdom spread here. That's part of our charter, and we'll talk about that next week. He says, but then there's the other one, which is this thing is that, well, we're just ravaged warriors for God, you know. We're going to take out our things. We're going to conquer, you know. Uh, well, that's ridiculous, too, because... That's not what he's talking about. He's saying the primary battle is spiritual first. Always remember that. It's spiritual first. So what does that exactly mean? And last week I talked about how it's in the, it's in the world of ideology and belief because what you believe is one of the most important things about you. So we want to kind of dig into this. And I, I just want to kind of show you how you fight this battle. He goes, in verse 14, he says, gird your loins with truth. Belt your waist with the truth. And the truth that we're to belt our, our loins with, our, our waist with, is not our own truth. Not a worldly truth or a kingdom of this world truth, but with his truth. And that's a different kind of truth. Many years ago, over 15 years ago, there was a young lady coming to our church and she was, I mean, she just, you know, had the best outfits and she was very, you know, uh, uh, she's just a very attractive, outgoing gal. Everybody liked her. She was a cheerleader at Boise State. And so uh, she goes, I got to know her a little bit, you know, standing out the group. She says, hey, can I come talk to you sometime? I said, sure. She come talk to me. And, and so here was this young lady, so much going for her. You know, her future looks so bright and all this stuff. And she said, you know, my life is so broken. 
I'm so lonely and empty inside, and I struggle with uh, depression, and I don't feel value. Um, you know, I have, my esteem is terrible. And she said, I go, well, what's wrong? She goes, well, I, you know, a lot of the other cheerleaders have boyfriends and stuff, and, and uh, some of them, you know, are like already getting engaged. And she goes, I don't have anybody, and it's just destroying me. And she goes, if I could just get a boyfriend, I think it would work out, or things would get better. And I said, if you get a boy thing, boyfriend, things are just going to get worse. <laughs> she says, thank you, Pastor, for your compassion in my life. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, look, the reason you're feeling things, these things and experience these things is because you're under a spiritual attack. And you have to take the lies of the world out and fill them with the truth of the gospel, the truth of God. You've got to get rid of these beliefs that the world has built in you that are causing these things in you. So we, she went, she did a self-directed study and this process to go and renounce all of these falsehoods and start writing out all of the truths of God, of who she is and what God has done in her through redemption and salvation. And after 10 weeks of this, she came back and she was like, I, I have to tell the church. I have. So she stood up here on a Sunday morning and she gave her testimony to the church. And she just said, God is so changed me and I was this before and now I'm this. I never understood. You know, I was dead, but now I've been made alive. And how did that all happen? Because she got rid of the falsehoods of the world and she replaced them with the truth of God. And that changed her life. The Bible is not a book of recipes of how to fix your dishwasher, plant a garden, program a VCR. That's for all you older folks. Or what stocks to invest your money in. It, is a, it doesn't tell you any of that truth. You know the truth it tells you? The truth about life. It is a revelation of who you are, why you are on this earth, and why your life has value. Who is God and what he's doing in this reality? It is a truth. When you see that truth, your life is never the same because so much of everything comes into focus. And it is a truth that protects you from complacency because you understand, wow, there is a God and this is what God is doing, which allows you to go to the next thing. So this is the belt of truth. And that says, now I must put on the breastplate of righteousness, right? What is the breastplate of righteousness? It's not your righteousness or pious behavior. It is the righteousness of God that is placed upon you. It is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in your life. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. I don't make myself righteous. God made me righteous through the redemptive act of Jesus Christ. You know, the, some of the strongest spiritual battles that you're going to face in your life, that you're going to have to struggle with, are overcoming failures and mistakes in your life. Dealing with regret and disappointment. Oftentimes, these lock us in into visions of who we are that are flawed and broken. We deal with tremendous amounts of guilt 
and shame in our lives. And the only way to have victory over these things, the only way to be an overcomer over these things is to wear the breastplate of the righteousness of God in your life. It keeps you from falling into complacency because what it does is it tells you and teaches you how to discern good and evil. The writer in Hebrew says, you know, that solid food is for the mature. And he talk, and then he goes on to say that who, by training their senses, can discern good from evil. See, we have to train ourselves on the difference between good and evil. You know, for instance, in World War II, during the rise of the Third Reich, many people are not aware that the Lutheran Church in Germany became partners with Nazism. They even took the Lutheran cross. The Lutheran cross is a cross and it has a circle like a wreath on it. And they superimposed the Nazi swastika over it and hung that in the churches in Germany. A lot of people don't know that. But there was a Lutheran pastor out there that said, hey, everybody, don't jump on that bandwagon. Because what you don't understand is that this is a battle of ideology at its core, and Nazism is evil. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And because he's, he was going around before uh, the Nazis had become uh, seized complete control, what had happened is he would go around and teach these. But once they did that, they arrested him and they threw him in prison. He was executed two weeks before allies liberated his prison. During that time, he wrote a lot of stuff, an uh, infamous work called The Cost of Discipleship. It's become famous Christian literature. You see, very early on, he saw the evil because he understood the gospel. The, the breastplate of the righteousness of God is extremely important because it protects you in your personal battle with the evil one. When he shows up and he says these things to you or that tape starts playing in your head again, or brings up a lot of the stuff from the past, you can say, that's not true. What is true is that I am saved by the power and blood of Christ. The other thing it does is it helps you see what the kingdom of God is doing on a global scale and says, wow, some of these things over here are just plain evil. On October 7th, it was shocking to see Hamas kill 1,500 Israelis. But what a lot of people don't even know is that when Hamas took over the Gaza Strip in 2005, there were 3,000 Palestinian Christians living there, and Hamas ethnically cleansed every one of them. Did you hear about that? No, you didn't. Not a word about it. Is that your fault or mine? No. But that just lets you know there's a spiritual battle. And, and once you understand, wow, I have, I, I know what the truth of reality is. I'm wearing the blessed plate of Christ because of his righteousness. Now I want to put my shoes on and run to wherever the battle is with the gospel of peace. The most powerful way to protect yourself, the best way to grow to maturity is to share the gospel truth. Not in like these little down here things, but in the ultimate things, the ultimate realities of what real truth is. 
You know, it's so interesting to me um, how sometimes uh, Christians in America can get so divisive and they can get so bent out of shape doing such crazy things. In Arkansas, there is a church called the Church of the Hat Rack. And it's right down the street is the Church of the Non-Hat Rack. Can you guess what they split over? And you think how petty that is. Well, when churches start to get that way and, and people get off track, when I start to get that way, I just it's a very simple question. When was the last time I preached the gospel to anybody? There's nothing like sharing the gospel that gets your priorities straight real fast. Because you, you're, wow, this is a spiritual battle. And it's heartbreaking to see what the evil one is doing to my friends and to my family. And man, I want to, I want to strap on the running shoes of the gospel of peace. I'm not wearing those Birkenstocks because man, when you run in Burks, man, those things can fly off, right? I want, I want a great pair of running shoes because man, I want to run that trail of truth and preach the gospel. When you're ready to go, ready to share, prepared to take the message in the lives of those around you, it strengthens your faith and protects you from the pettiness of this world. And then you look at, what does he go on to say? The shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. I think those two are put together because our faith is in the salvation of Christ, right? And, what, and he calls them a shield and a helmet. Back during this time, whenever you fought, it's predominantly hand-to-hand combat. And guess what took all the blows when you were at war? Your shield and your helmet, right? It took all the blows. And so the thing that's going to take the blows should be your faith and your helmet of salvation that protects you. Whenever you take a blow in this world, you can always say, well, my faith is that I am saved by the blood of Christ. One of the biggest spiritual battles that people have is the notion of uh, kind of, well, you're so worthless at this, you know? You're supposed to be a Christian, you know, and then you scream at people on the road when you're driving by them, you know? You're supposed to be a Christian, and you can't even get along with your wife for crying out loud, you know? Oh, you're, you're supposed to be a Christian, you know, and you, you don't like paying taxes. I'm like, I don't know if there's anything anti-Christian about not wanting to pay taxes, but that's another question. That's another message. But you see what I'm saying? It's like, oh, man, sometimes I, I yell at the dog, or sometimes I forget to, you know, replace the toilet paper in the bathroom or so and what happens is you just kind of pile all this stuff up I'm not good enough I'm not a fail I, I'm not this I'm not that I'm not this I'm it's like it's like whoa time out when did you ever do anything in order to be saved see it's a gift from God and so when that stuff comes in, just say, well, you're probably right. You know, maybe I need to do better. But that's not why I'm, I'm saved because of the love and the action of Christ in my life. It's his gift to me. And I'm just learning how to receive it. That, that's how you stand up under that battle. Now, you know, we were talking about Jocko Willick a, a little earlier, you know. And Jocko's like, in any situation I want to run, it's always defensive. But boy, you, you threaten my family. That's a different question. On a global scale, I don't know about you, but Christians are like taking a beating, you know. They're taking a beating in America. They take a beating in in all these other countries that are openly persecuting them. 
Uh, people are taking a beating just across the board. Uh, we're blamed for every bad thing happening in America, you know, and it's just going on and on and on. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit like Rocky. Do you remember Rocky movies? Do you remember those? You know, after the first one, it is, they're, they're, I don't know, are we on um, Rocky 14 or Rocky 15? I can't tell where we're at right now because I kind of lose count, but they're all the same formula, and that is, is that, right, he gets in there, and then he gets his, his hat handed to him, basically. He gets pummeled, and then he goes into training, and they always have a training sequence, and then the movie ends with the big fight scene, right? And during the big fight, you know, is he going to win? Can he do it? You know, and even on, you know, Rocky 12, you're thinking, he may not be able to do it, and you start to say, wait a second, there was 11 other times when they always ended the movie the same way. But uh, what, you're, what happens, though, is he starts getting beat up by the, the, the antagonist, you know, beating him, and boom, boom, and he's just taking this pummeling, you know, he's getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled, and finally he just says, okay, I've had enough, and he stands up, and he just comes back, and he just starts waylaying the guy, and you're like, yay, Rocky, and you hear the music, you know, you're so excited, your heart beats faster, and I'm thinking, man, I'm tired taking a pummeling. And like Rocky, man, it's time to start dishing it out. How do you do that? Well, Paul tells you right here. He goes, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every other piece of armor here is designed to protect you. The only thing that's offensive in this is the weapon that is designed to not protect you, but designed to kill, is the sword it's designed to pierce, it's designed to cut, it's designed to destroy, and it's designed to kill. And the offensive weapon of the Christian is the word of God. What did Jesus do when he was in the desert? What did he do? When he wanted to lay a blow to the evil one tempting him, he didn't have a discussion with him in a debate about philosophy. He didn't bring up a historical account of how faithful God is. What did he do? He quoted the word of God. And I don't know, I think that that guy got pummeled three times and he said, I've had enough because it says he left him. He, he fled from him. If you want to go on the offense, then memorize the word of God. Give the Holy Spirit a sharp, honed edge to work with in your life. When you're struggling with something personally and you've memorized passages of the Bible, guess what? You can recite those out loud and the Holy Spirit takes those things and uses them to defeat the evil one. You're not just protecting, you're not just on defense, you are now on offense. And you're saying you come around here and you're gonna get your head kicked in because the word of God is always true. This is what Jesus did during his temptations in the desert and this is what you can do as well. You know, what battlefield would you ever take without first gearing up, right? Because if you don't gear up, what happens? You become a soft target. You're easy pickings. And Paul says, if the battle's spiritual, start with the spiritual armor first. Because that will guide you and lead you and give you wisdom and strength. Don't be a soft target. After 9-11, uh, we opened up the church to everybody 
the church came together, and in the months afterwards, we started uh, taking money. And we took all that money, and we went and we planted a church at Ground Zero in southern Manhattan there. And then that church took off, grew to about 200 people, and then it merged with another church. And then it grew, and then it merged with another church. And those churches are, you know, growing there even today, 20-something years later. And then after that, we got a call from the Department of Homeland Security. And they said, hey, we need to come and have a meeting with you. And so they said, well, okay, come have a meeting with us. What, are they going to complain about the preaching or something? I'm not quite sure. Uh, so they showed up and they said, hey, we want you to know that here uh, we've heard some chatter in Idaho of all places and said it's pass-through chatter. And you need to understand is that where you're located in your address, you're, you have a high probability of being what is called a soft target. And that is because of your access to uh, the highway intersection, which is just a you know, few blocks from here. Because it allows people, they can do something, immediately skip. So you just got to be aware of that. And you're very close to the highway. You know, you're very close to buildings, very close to the street. You're at, you have all this access. You have to all do this. So our elders took that seriously. They started a security team. And uh, we used to be a, surf, a soft target. We aren't anymore. Yeah, we're not anymore. I, I would, I'm praying for a person who shows up on campus and wants to do anybody, especially children, harm, because they will meet the wrath and justice of God very quickly. <laughs> very, very quickly. Because I just, I, I don't think this is boasting. I think you're probably right now sitting in the safest place in the Treasure Valley right now. <laughs> You, you are protected by a security team. It, it's over 20 men strong, and those, those guys aren't messing around. So um, it's really fun to hear them talk. You know, they even have a, a pastor watch crew. So they even got eyes on me all the time, you know, so it's kind of fun. We were told by DHS we might be a soft target. We did something about it. We are anymore. I have just spent this day telling you that you might be a soft target and there's something you can do about it, so do something. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, we know that you are king. We follow you. You are our protector and our shield, and our hope and trust is in you first before anything else. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday.